According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 2 this morning. Proverbs chapter 2. Crying for discernment and lifting our voices for uh, understanding and uh, studying about how all of this comes together. We have the uh, blessing to humble ourselves under the Word of God and to let the Word of God do its work. Today we're going to take uh, <clears throat> our first look at verses 6 through 11 and uh, really start to see what the Word does once it, uh, once it goes forth. Before we get started, let's take time for silent prayer to quiet our hearts, to humble ourselves under the authority of truth, shall we pray? Father, I thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing we have to assemble together on this day. Thank you for being so faithful day by day and moment by moment. I thank you, Father, in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you uh, seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Seek and ye shall find. Ask and ye shall receive. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. As we uh, detailed last week, uh, all the information underneath main point one, parents can urge and admonish, but ultimately it is the volition of the children that decides the issue. I have a problem with my screen. Yes, I do have a problem with my screen. How about that? Thank you. Let's uh, get it off a letterbox. There we go. Thank you. Parents can urge and admonish, but children must personally adopt the humble attitude to receive the word implanted. And every generation is accountable. Just because your father was uh, King David, a man after God's own heart, and everything... uh, doesn't mean that you automatically get saved and you automatically advance to super grace blessings of spiritual maturity or anything else. You have to, in your generation, get saved and become a disciple of the Word of God. You have to humble yourself under the Word of God. And if you do, then uh, certain blessings will become characteristic of your life. And this is what uh, we're understanding here. The Christian way of life must incorporate receiving and treasuring Bible doctrine. If it's not, you are not a disciple. And how many Christians do you know are saved? They're going to go to heaven when they die. But as far as here and now, they are not living in the Word of God. They are not dwelling in the Word of God. They are not treasuring it in their heart. They barely think about it until they're basically, they've tried everything else in life and their life is a wreck. Well, let's see if the Bible says anything and maybe I can get religious for a week or two and then kind of go back to ignoring them again when all my problems are, are ignorable. And I think that's what it comes down to. They're not solving their problems. They're just finding ways to ignore their problems so they can get on about doing what they want to do in the first place. All right, no, the Christian way of life must incorporate receiving and treasuring Bible doctrine. And remember, we are commanded to make disciples. That's our great commission. Make disciples, not just evangelize. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. All right, and so every unbeliever on the planet is a target for evangelism, but every non-disciple on the planet is a target for discipleship. All right, and uh, to me, that's uh, 
That's where the real issue comes in. All right. Uh, of course, sitting in Bible class is not the end. It's the means to the end. How many Christians do you know how are confused about that? They think that the whole plan of God is about me getting saved and then sitting in as many Bible classes as I can possibly attend between salvation and physical death. And uh, if, if I attend the most services and fill the most notebooks and, and, uh, and <laughs> any of that, then there's going to be a prize awaiting me at the great white throne or at the judgment seat of Christ for having the most number of doctrinal notebooks on my shelf. Wait a minute. No, the judgment seat of Christ is not a Bible quiz. Jesus Christ is not going to ask you what you know. Jesus Christ will be evaluating what you've done, all right, and the fruit that you've borne, either in the good, uh, in the good sense of, of gold, silver, precious stones, or in the negative sense of wood, hay, straw. And that too is judging what you've done, the productivity, what you have produced out of fellowship, what you have produced in, uh, in your own endeavors apart from what God has told you to produce. Remember, God has saved us in the good works, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's where your gold, silver, and precious stones lies. If you're out there in the Thule's doing your own thing, bringing your vegetables before, like Cain brought vegetables before God, that's wood, hay, and stubble. Um, when it all comes right down to it. No, it is not the end, it is the means to the end. The means to the end, and the end is an intimate walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. The fellowship that we see in His Word, as we fellowship with the Father and the Son, as we fellowship with His Word, this, we have this intimate walk with the Lord Jesus Christ in verses 6 through 11. We're going to be breaking this down today in more detail from verses 6 through 11. The Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And, and you and I are blessed to hear it straight from His mouth. We don't get it secondhand. We don't get it by rumor or, well, we've heard of this or somebody said that. We get it straight from His mouth. We are in a face-to-face relationship with Jesus Christ and through Him with God the Father. We are hearing it straight from His mouth. And this is the nature of our intimate walk. It's not just, well, you know, Pastor Bob said. No, the Lord said, and you should hear it straight from him. If, in fact, you are experiencing this intimate walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Even the means has a means, and we see how the if statements here uh, are connected. The receiving and treasuring of Bible doctrine will not take place without the attentive ear and the inclined heart. So we've got to start with that. Make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. That's verse 2. Proverbs 2.2, 2, and that should be a daily prayer. Father, today, soften my heart to be receptive to your truth. Today, uh, open my ear, Father. Open my ear to hear your leading, to hear your uh, convictions, to hear your warnings, to hear your rebukes. Also, to hear your comfort. Whatever it may be that you're speaking to me on this day, I want to hear it. So this is the means to the means. If you are not attitudinally humble... If you don't have that fear of the Lord as a reality, then you are not going to receive the word implanted that is able to save your soul. Treasuring the word of God means I place it in a particular location, both guarded and regarded. And all the uh, application there to some point B, as far as what does it mean to treasure? What's the meaning of the Hebrew tzafan? What does it mean to guard it, to regard it, to value it, to place it in a uh, very special, hidden, secure, yet accessible place? where it is immediately at hand, where I know precisely where it is, and I can make full use of, uh, of His truth. Treasuring the Word of God means I'm not neglecting it. I'm not chucking it in a drawer somewhere. I'm not forgetting where I put it 20 years ago. All right. If, you're, if your storehouse 
is so lost and disused and and you, you have trouble even remembering what door it is or where the key and where'd you put that, all right? And there's, there's probably attic space or places you haven't been to in a while. That's not what we're talking about with the Word of God. It has to be at hand daily. It has to be, you should constantly be in and out of that storehouse, adding new material to it, drawing from it, making use of this, uh, of this treasury. Attentive ears and inclined hearts are the attitudinal prerequisites to receiving and treasuring. The attitudinal prerequisites. We must be eager to hear and humble to treasure. Crying and lifting your voice, these are the prayer idioms. All of this is material we looked last week, and I'm going fast, but review it from last week, get the MP3 off the website and listen to all this. Crying and lifting your voice, these are prayer idioms. Remember, we ask for wisdom. This is a prayer that's guaranteed to be answered and is guaranteed to be answered immediately, abundantly. He gives liberally and without reproach. This prayer is always answered. Seek and ye shall find. Not only is it here in Proverbs 2, it's uh, the Lord teaches this in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. If you seek for her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord. You will discover the knowledge of God. Seek and ye will find. All right, but you must do the active work of seeking. You must dig it out. You must hunt for it. You must not let go. You must be diligent in the search. That's why it says seeking her as silver, searching for her as hidden treasures. You're not just sitting around doing nothing, waiting for silver to drop in your lap. You're seeking for it. Okay, you're searching for it, like the hidden treasure hunt and things of that nature. All right. Which brings us now to the second main point. Believers fellowship with the Lord through the word of his mouth. This is our fellowship. Our fellowship comes as we listen to what he's speaking. And as we speak back to him, the fellowship is reciprocal. The fellowship we have with the father and with his son is through his word. You know, somebody that you haven't spoken to in 20 years, how much fellowship do you have with him? Well, you got to take some time. It's gonna. There's a lot of catching up to do. It might be a little awkward at first. You know, what have you been doing since 1989? All right. Well, needless to say, um, people like that that you haven't seen in 20 years or 30 years, what have you, you don't have that rapport. You don't have that fellowship. You might have had it back in the day, and maybe you can restore it after a little bit of. Uh, you know, reminiscing and and awkward uh, catching up and so forth. But it's lost because it hasn't been nurtured for the last 20 years, okay? And uh, even the closest of friends that you had back in the day, if if it's been a while, all right? And this is the illustration for what happens with the Word of God. Has it been a while? You know, are are you frequently in the truth? Are you only so often in the truth? All right? We fellowship with the Lord through the word of his mouth. And this is a good thing, although it might be painful because from his mouth comes the piercing sword, (laughs) all right? The piercing sword, that the truth hurts, right? The word of God, as it comes forth, yes, we're going to fellowship in it, but we're going to fellowship in it as it cuts, as it pierces, as it reaches that dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, as it critically discerns and judges the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. The word from his mouth is a piercing sword. And that's not something to be fearful of. That's something to embrace. That's something to be rejoicing over. 
You know, think about, I mean, you can have all the phony friends in the world that never tell you the, the real truth, but the one person that tells it like it is, is the best friend you'll ever have. Because they're telling the truth. They're speaking the truth in love. And does it hurt sometimes? Sure, it hurts sometimes. But it's a whole lot better to, to deal with it now than let it fester as long as it festers when everybody's too uh, unloving to, to deal with it or tell you about it. So we have the word from his mouth. It's introduced here. It's going to come back again in chapter 8. Proverbs 8, verses uh, 6 through 8. Listen, for I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. For my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. And all the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is not one thing, nothing crooked or perverted in them. What a joy. (laughs) <laughs> what an opposite to what we normally expect in this world. Goodness, there's some people, you see them on TV, and the minute you see their lips are moving, you know they're lying to you. All right? Anyway, the word from his mouth, it's a piercing sword, and be thankful for that. Hebrews 4.12, of course, you hear thousands of times, the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, as a critical judge of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That sword from his mouth is spoken of in the book of Revelation to the, to the seven churches in Revelation 1 and Revelation 2 and then ultimately in conquering uh, Antichrist at Armageddon in Revelation chapter 19. From his mouth comes that sharp two-edged sword. Now, the actions of this passage. This is where we ran out of time. We've got to pick it up here. The actions of this passage. I love the actions of this passage. First thing I ever learned when I was starting to study language, find the verb, okay? Find the verb. That's where the action is, all right? Find the verb. And then once you find the verb, then you uh, attach everything else to it, okay? What's the subject? What's the object? Who's doing the verb? What, what's the result of the verb? And who's doing it? Who's being done to? And why are they doing it? Where are they doing it? But start with a verb, okay? So let's start with the actions of this passage because guess what? They're all God's actions. It's everything that God does in His Word, through His Word, as His Word goes forth. See, this is the thing. Now our action, of course, is to seek, to treasure, to to study, to humble ourselves, to receive it. We have an active role in the work of, of studying and showing ourselves approved and learning. And There is an active role for us, but as long as we are doing that active role, Here is the consequence. Here is now what God will do. This is what His Word will do when we connect His Word with faith, when we respond with faith. Okay, So the actions of this passage are God's actions. They are shielding, guarding, and preserving. Shielding, guarding, and preserving. In verses 7 through 9. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. God does that. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. God does that. God does the shielding. But it's important to note that He does the shielding through His Word that He sends forth. Everything that we're looking at here, I can't stress this enough, in in verses 6 through 11, this is powerful stuff. We want this. We want 6 through 11. We want, actually, beyond that, 12 and following, because the practical realms where this happened include the evil man, in verse 12, the way of the evil, the, the man who speaks perverse things, and then the strange woman in verse 16, to deliver you from the strange woman, the adulteress who flatters with her words. So we have two objects here, or two 
adversarial situations here where we need to be shielded, where we need to be guarded, where we need to be preserved. And we're going to get to those eventually. But don't, uh, don't lose sight of the fact that everything we're looking at here in chapter 2 um, follows the, the, uh, the warnings that we dealt with in chapter 1 where we are ignoring the Holy Spirit, where we are quenching the Holy Spirit, where we're, He's calling and we're ignoring Him. Okay? Remember, remember when we were dealing with that in chapter 1? All right. Um, yeah, that's verse uh, 24, 25. Uh, back in chapter 1 where it says, I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. You neglected all my counsel. You did not want my reproof. Those facets... If, 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 if that's characteristic of your walk, if you're ignoring what he has to say, then don't blame him if your shield is missing in chapter 2. Okay? Don't blame him if the shielding is gone, the guarding is gone, the preserving is gone. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention, and you neglected all my counsel. Anyway, all of the actions of this passage are God's actions. Shielding, guarding, and preserving. Again, verse 7, verse 8. Uh, back to chapter 2 now. He stores up sound wisdom for the uprights. He's going to do it through His Word. He's doing it through His Word. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice. He preserves the way of His godly ones. <laughs> Notice, what are the paths that He's guarding? The setting now. The settings for these actions are our settings. Our paths, our way, and every good course. But keep in mind, our paths and our way are the ones that He's assigned to us. What does it say in Hebrews? Run with endurance the race that's set before you. Now, if you jump that course and decide to go run over here in this other course or decide to take your own path or go your own way, you think the guarding is going to be there? You think the shield is going to be there? It says he guards the paths of justice. If you're out there in the paths of injustice or wickedness, is he guarding those paths? This is why you've got to keep yourself in the will of God. That's where the protection is. That's where the blessings are. All right, so the actions are his, the settings are ours, our paths, our way, and every good course. Again, it's verse 8 and verse 9 here in this, uh, in this context. Now, that's where I'm going to leave it under point B. I was tempted to just break out and spend the next six weeks <laughs> doing doctrinal studies and all these topics, but I think if, I, if we don't want Proverbs to be a 50-year study... Um, we're going to let it go at that. But this will come up again. This will come up again. Don't think that the ways, this is the only time that Proverbs mentions the ways. The ways come up again and again and again. And they're contrasted. Where We've got a choice to make. Are we going to go this way or are we going to go that way? Are we going to go the way of righteousness or the way of wickedness? Even, the, even um, chapter 2 ends with that, actually, down in, in verses 21 and 22. Uh, you know, uh, verse 20, walking in the way of good men, keeping to the paths of the righteous. And then the contrast. You really want to take that road? It seems fun now, but do you know what the end of that road is? Okay, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof. All right. Point C. When the Word enters your heart, when you receive the Word implanted, oh man, great things start happening. When the Word enters your heart, it lives there and it achieves many things. When the Word of God enters your heart, it lives there and it achieves many things.
is described here in Proverbs 2, verses 10 and 11. Um, I think I, I correlate this with one of my favorite passages from 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13. But we'll start here. Proverbs 2, verses 10 and 11. For wisdom will enter your heart. And we, we have the, the expressions here are, are become very vivid as it describes the active work of what wisdom does, what doctrine does. Because it's an active agent. It thinks, it makes choices, it does things. Wisdom will enter your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. We have consequences now of having the Word of God, not just in a Bible, not just in a manuscript somewhere, in your heart. That's the benefit. That's why we want to seek it, we want to treasure it. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. You know, (laughs) soul pleasure. I mean, we know what's pleasant to the eyes, uh, what's pleasant to the nose, what's pleasant to uh, to the mouth. You know, we have senses, physical senses, right? And the physical senses discern between um, sweet and sour and nice and nasty and beautiful and ugly. And I mean, we can distinguish between rough and soft and all kinds of things. Our senses are trained to distinguish. And clearly, stuff is pleasant or stuff is not pleasant, (laughs) depending on what we are sensing, okay? Visually, audibly, whatever, okay? olfactorily that's your smell okay um (laughs) what about your soul what pleases your soul is the soul pleased by smells and bells what is it is it the things you see the things you hear the things you smell the things you taste yes all of the above in the spiritual dimension all right the things your soul sees the things your soul hears the things your soul smells the things your soul tastes the soul has the function of all of these things. The things your soul feels. Every tactile stimulus that the Bible uses, uses every single one that we know about because of our bodies and all the sensory perception there, they're all applied to the soul in the spiritual dimension. In terms of our seeing, in terms of our hearing, in terms of our tasting, taste and see that the Lord is good. In terms of our smelling, because we are a, a fragrance of Christ. We are a sweet aroma among those who are being saved. Every, uh, every tactile feeling is applied in the spiritual realm. So here we have it. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Pleasant to your soul. Even the knowledge that hurts. <laughs> okay? Even the knowledge... That uh, because we have in humility received it, we have received what we need, not simply what we want or not simply what we think uh, we can make use of. That becomes a difference. What else does it do besides just showing up and making it making things pleasant? Okay, you know you can have you can have unpleasant visitors, okay, in your house or church or workplace or what have you. You can also have pleasant visitors. No need to illustrate that. Um, Because we're expecting some pleasant visitors in two days from now. Um, But you can also have some unpleasant visitors. How long are they going to be here? Okay. Then you can have... (laughs) Anyway, but here's the Word of God, though. See? Pleasant to your soul. But it's so much more than that. It's more than just showing up and being pleasant. What else does it do? Again, more guarding, more watching over you, more deliverance. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. 
There are actual literal effects within your thinking. It has effects with how you look at things, your perception of things. Discretion. Say, I don't seem to have much discretion. Well, the Word of God will give it to you. All right. We studied discretion in one of the introductory vocabulary studies when we first started this, uh, this book. And then understanding. Oh, we had a misunderstanding this morning and Dan was saying something and I was hearing something else. Okay? So, um, but the Word of God gives understanding. There's a thing. All right. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Maybe it's more vivid here. I, I see it in both places, in Proverbs and Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13. All of the things... Remember, the, the, the believers in Thessalonica were the polar opposite of the Corinthians. All right? Uh, first and Second Corinthians is all about... Uh, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, and then 2 Corinthians, you're still doing this wrong, and even worse. Um, Thessalonica was doing everything great, and Paul encouraged them, saying, do more, do more. You're doing great, excel still more. Um, and so he's very thankful, and he's got reasons to be thankful. And in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he says, for this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. See, remember, the word has to be accepted, received in humility, received the word implanted. They were delivering it, but they also had to receive it, okay? Uh, you accepted it, not as the word of man, but for what it really is, the word of God. Actively, dismiss, uh, actively disseminated, actively received. And then, notice, which also, which also, okay? Now, if we stopped the verse there with, what it really is, the Word of God, it'd be a great sentence. It'd be a great doctrine. We could teach uh, all kinds of things out of that. But the sentence doesn't end there. It goes on to say, which also. Oh, no, wait a minute. There's something more to just a speaker speaking and a hearer hearing. Okay, There's something more than just a Bible teacher who's preaching a message Okay, and Bible students that are hearing a message. The sentence doesn't stop there. It goes on. It says which also, after it's spoken, after it's heard, which also performs its work in you who believe. In you who believe. Now, if you don't unite the Word of God with faith, it won't be doing this work. But if you do unite the Word of God with faith, okay, which we learned about in Hebrews 4, we learned about why, why did the Word not profit the Exodus generation? Because they didn't unite it with faith. They didn't accept the word for what it was. They didn't trust in the faithfulness of the one who had given the promises. We have to unite the word with faith. We have to walk by faith. We have to receive every Bible class in faith and and live it out. And when we do, oh, look out, watch what the word of God does. The word of God will perform its work. It's got a mission. It's on a mission, right? Right? Was that stupid? Uh, or not stupid? It was kind of funny. The the the, um, the 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 Blues Brothers, right? We're on a mission from God. Okay. Well, adapt that movie quote to the Word of God. It's on a mission. That's why He sent it. Isaiah says it will not return void without accomplishing the purpose for which He sent it. It goes to do the purpose. And we see the same thing here. It goes to do the purpose. It performs its work in you who believe. And this is where I, I just I, I love what the Word of God does if you let it. 
Let the word of God richly dwell within you. Okay? Let it richly dwell within you. Don't, don't kill it. Don't dampen it. Let it richly dwell. And uh, watch what it does as it richly dwells. Watch how it guards you. Watch how discretion, the things we saw back in Proverbs, watch how knowledge is pleasant to your soul. Watch how discretion guards you. Watch how understanding watches over you. Watch how you are delivered. And this is the same rescue we read about in James. Receive the word of God implanted, which is able to save your souls. Or back to Proverbs, to deliver you from the way of evil. All right, but to do that, man, the Word of God is is got to be alive. It's got to be living in you. You got to be receiving it. Got to be dwelling in it, treasuring it, as, as Psalm one nineteen says, "Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee." All right, so it does all kinds of things, and this I, I love this. And we got quite a few mothers here this morning. This is great because you you've lived this. All right, you've lived this, and if you're not a mother, you know, like some of us, okay? <laughs> you can at least have the concept. Maybe we'll create a sympathy pregnancy for you today. Um, the, um, I just loved eating the french fries every time Sharon got the craving. Um, the, <laughs> think about what it means when something enters into you, when, when, when a baby is, is, is birthed, all right? And now there's something alive inside of you. Think about that. It's internal and it's not you. It's something besides you. Okay? It's not you. It's inside of you. And to me, that's huge. Okay? And that's, that answers a whole lot of stupid arguments with morons that want to shake their fist at me and say, I can do what I want to do with my own body. Great. Do what you want to do with your own body. But that baby is not your body. Okay? Anyway. Um, off target. I'm sorry. Off target. Back to the target. There is something inside of you. And it's living Okay? And it rolls and it kicks and it's supposed to. And every time it rolls and it kicks, it reminds you that, hey, I got something alive inside of me here. Right? It's a great reminder. And then sometimes it's unpleasant, right? Sometimes it, 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 it's stepping on your bladder, it's doing all kinds of things, and you've made eight trips to the bathroom in one night just because of that. That's what it does. The Word of God does that. It pokes you, it pokes you, it steps on places and it hurts but be joyful, okay? Be joyful. Thankful that it's in there. Thankful that it's in there. So what else does it do? It does a lot of things. It does a lot of things. In fact, it does everything God wants it to do. (laughs) How much does it do? Everything, right? What does it do? Everything God wants it to do. Is it strong enough to do it? Oh, you bet. More than strong enough to do it. And this is why we want to let the Word of God do its work. If we try to step in and do it ourselves... Why are we substituting? In fact, that is the evil of Romans chapter 1. That is the evil of substituting the creature for the creator. Right? And and substituting the creature, us, for the creator. The Word of God. The Word of God does the work in you who believe. Oh, no, no, no. Here we go. Okay. That D shouldn't be there yet until we get through the 1, 2, 3, 4. All right. An active and powerful word is effective for everything God designs. For everything God designs. An active and powerful word, Hebrews 4.12, is effective 
for everything God designs. Remember, gifts, ministries, and effects? Who's doing the effects? God's doing the effects. An active and powerful word is effective for everything that God designs. This is why it's so sad. Again, the non-disciples are saved, but they don't care for the word. They don't love the word. They don't, they've got other priorities in life above the word. It, it ranks probably in the top 62 things that they prioritize in their life, but it's not, uh, it should be number one. It should be ranked right there at the top. Because it's through the Word that everything else in the Christian walk is going to be manifest. God doesn't do anything without the Word. Even creation. God said, let there be light. And there was light. (laughs) He doesn't do anything apart from His Word. And why does a Christian think that somehow God's going to solve their problems and pay their bills and and fix their kids and whatever else they're praying about, and they think that God's going to do all that stuff apart from His Word? When has God ever acted apart from His Word? We better get humble under His Word. So, um, again, we got Hebrews 4.12. Look what it does. Look what it's able to do. It says, uh, the Word of God is alive and powerful or living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing. It's what it does. That's what a sword does. We're also going to see uh, Jeremiah uses... Uh, the language of a hammer. So don't get locked up on the sword as being a cutting instrument. Uh, there's other metaphors in Scripture as well. Jeremiah uses the hammer as a blunt instrument. And sometimes we need to be pierced and sometimes we just need to be smashed. Okay? All right. And God is smart enough to know when, when is the right occasion to use the cutting instrument and when is the right acu- uh, occasion to use the blunt instrument. And he's very good with both of them. All right. Piercing, as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And this is how his his word works. Now, we can close our eyes to it and quit looking at it, but that doesn't mean that his word quits looking at us, right? His word, uh, we're not hidden from his sight. We are not hidden from God. We cannot hide from God. It's a new song I just learned last week, and it's, uh, I'm loving it. I cannot hide from God. Isaiah 55, 11. Isaiah 55, 11. This verse is bigger than we think it is. Uh, maybe it's just me um, limiting this verse. Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, in other words, infinite, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You can't even put a ruler down and measure it. It's it's extra dimensionally, infinitely far away is heaven from the earth. And God's way of thinking from our way of thinking, you you can't even measure it. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth. You realize that? Every time it rains, stuff gets wet. Yeah, I mean, it's just what it does. So when the word goes forth, stuff gets wet. (laughs) Okay? Water makes stuff wet. That's what it does. So as the rain and snow come down from heaven, do not return there without watering the earth and making it bear sprout, barren sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Water does a whole lot more than we even realized. All kinds of stuff we can't even see. 
so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. Now notice, goes forth from my mouth. Lock in on the mouth there. Because that's the mouth we're dealing with in Proverbs chapter 2. All right? And this is so much more than just... I used to think um, this is just... Okay, the Word of God goes forth. It's kind of like the written canon of Scripture. All right? God revealed Himself. We've got a Bible. And the Bible is what God's doing. Bigger than that. Bigger than that. Okay? More than just inspiring 40 authors and to write 66 books and to give us a canon of Scripture. It's the mouth. It's the mouth that we listen to day by day. It's the mouth of God. Through His written Word, no question. Through His written Word. But in our fellowship with the Father and with the Son, we need to listen to the words of His mouth. So the Word which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me void or empty, effectiveless, without accomplishing what I desire. In other words, the water's going to hit and stuff gets wet. Okay, the word goes forth without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding. Oh, guess what? I fail all the time, but his word never does. His word, there's not one time has his word ever failed to achieve what he said. Every single time God says, let there be light. Light doesn't think about whether it's going to obey or not or decide to stay dark or whatever. God said, let there be light. There was light. Let there be and there was. Let there be, and there was. Everything God declares happens. Let there be, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. And so we have personal uh, application to make. If I am here this morning in humility to receive the word implanted, asking God to speak to me, praying that maybe somehow, some way, it'll get through my thick skull or something I'm going to learn today. And I want to listen. And I want to embrace it. I want to receive it. I want to start living it. And, um, you know, because I should have actually learned it before now, but okay, today I'll learn it. (laughs) And then uh, I'll be equipped to learn more tomorrow. I'll be equipped to learn more after that. Day by day by day by day. All right. Without accomplishing what I desire. Without, is it the hearer that accomplishes what I desire? No, it's the word that goes from his mouth that accomplishes what Yahweh desires desires the word is an active agent the word does stuff now this is where um my infant in the womb illustration kind of breaks down because um the 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 infant in the womb is pretty limited in what it does the infant in the womb is not going to mow the yard okay that's that's the teenage young man long after he's left the womb when i say chris go mow the yard okay um, yeah, so my, my illustration breaks down a little bit, but the Word of God in you, there's no limit to what it can do. All right. And it's going to do what God wants it to do. Jeremiah 5.4. I'm sorry, 5.14. Jeremiah 5.14. Jeremiah had so much discouragement. He was so faithful. God gave him a message. He went and spoke it. People hated him. But that's not Jeremiah's problem, is it? Jeremiah just has to stay faithful. And so thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, behold, I am making my words in your mouth 
fire. <laughs> and this people would, and it will consume them. So we got a sword imagery, we got hammer imagery, here we got fire imagery. The words in your mouth, God says, I'm going to make them fire. And these people, I'm going to make them wood. And uh, fire hits wood, and what happens? The word does what it's designed to do. And then uh, more metaphors, all right? Jeremiah 23, 29. Sometimes when the word goes forth, it's designed to burn you up. Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock? Okay, there it is. Now this is a rebuke against the false prophets uh, when you back up to, um, goodness, uh, verse 25. See, he's not far away, he's near. Just listen to what he has to say. Hear the words of his mouth. I have heard what the prophets have said, and this is 23, 25, uh, who prophesy falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. No, you didn't. You're just preaching what you want to preach and claiming that God sent it to you in a dream. How long? Is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood, even these prophets of the deception of their own heart, who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams? The whole goal is to seduce them. The creeps spying out their liberty in, in the Galatian uh, epistle, they just wanted to bring them into, into bondage. Same thing here. Um, prophesying falsehood, even those prophets of the deception of their own heart, who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which they relate to one another, just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal. The prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word... Speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain, declares the Lord. In other words, if you're going to claim a prophetic revelation, then it better be in conformity with the written word of God. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock? Therefore, behold, I'm against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from each other. And they're all in cahoots. They're all comparing dreams, and they're all trying to coordinate their false messages. All right, so we have swords, hammers, fire, a lot of metaphors, but the, the reality remains that when the word goes forth, it does what it's designed to do. When water falls, stuff gets wet. When the word goes forth, God does what he intends to do with that word that goes forth. Now, in particular, the word of the gospel is an active agent, we're told. The word of the gospel is a particularly active and powerful agent. I believe all of God's word is alive and powerful, but Scripture makes a a, a special emphasis, point of emphasis, on the gospel message. On the gospel message. It is really the only component of the word of God that will affect the unbeliever. Most of what we've seen is how the word of God goes into believers and it starts affecting believers. But here is the word of the gospel that does work within the unbeliever as well. Romans 1.16, Colossians 1, verses 5 and 6, 2 Timothy 3.15. The word of the gospel is a particularly active and powerful agent. And this hopefully will be an encouragement to us in our witnessing, in our evangelizing. If you feel kind of wimpy, don't worry about it. If you feel kind of unsure, don't worry about it. Just start giving the gospel anyway. 
Uh, the gospel is not effective based on your ability. It's not effective based on your power or what you do or how smart you are or how well you preach it. All right? I led a, a kid to Christ once with the worst gospel message I ever gave. I was totally weeping, laying there in a Boy Scout tent at 2 in the morning and just weeping. I was just terrified that I gave it all wrong. That I quoted, I, I, I quoted Romans 3.23, but I told him it was Romans 6.23 or the other way around, whatever it was. Okay? I, had, I had the right verse, but the wrong address. Well, he didn't know that. What does he know? Okay? But I knew it. As soon as I spoke it, I knew it. I said, oh my goodness, I said the wrong one. I got it wrong. And I just wept and wept and wept. I'm thinking that thing. This is horrible. I'm the worst evangelist. I'm the worst Christian. I'm the worst, what, you know, like I hate Jesus or something. Why am I not better at giving the gospel? And just weeping, weeping, weeping like my friend's going to hell and it's all my fault. But here's the great thing. He got saved. He trusted. He believed. You, want, he, you know what he told me? He said, that makes more sense than anything I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> wow. Good thing that the Holy Spirit's omnipotent enough to overcome me. All right, because I, I made a big mess of all that. So, Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's beautiful? Because it's nice? No, because it's powerful. It is the power of God. It does the work. I'm not even doing the work. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power. The gospel does the work. It is the power of God for salvation. Colossians 1, verses 5 and 6. Looking forward to doing Colossians. In fact, Colossians may come right after Galatians. I may not do it in the canonical order. I may do Colossians, then Philippians, then Ephesians. I'm still going back and forth on that. And i got time. We're still six months into Galatians. Um, Colossians 1, verses 5 and 6. And let's look at, see what the Word does, what the Word does in the gospel presentation. Colossians 1, verse 3 says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope. We've got faith, hope, and love right here. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. All right, now here's the gospel. What is the gospel? What does it do? Notice, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also, it, the gospel, is constantly bearing fruit. The gospel is doing stuff. Now sure, there's human beings in the process. There's human mouths and lips that are yapping and different things. But it's the gospel that's doing the work. The gospel is the one that has come to you, just as in all the world it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it. Oh, you mean it didn't stop right after I got saved? The gospel continued to do stuff? Since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. It continues to speak. It continues to... We should never lose sight of our salvation. We should never, um, you know, uh, quit listening. Quit listening to that message, that, that uh, understanding the grace of God and truth. Well, if you stop listening to that, then you've been 
I think some people have been saved too long. They quit listening to that gospel that saved them. Finally then, 2 Timothy 3.15. What is the Word of God able to do? It's able to lead you to salvation. And even when you're too young to understand certain things, you still can get grounded. I love watching these kids go from the nursery to the three and four year olds to the five and six year olds, K1 K I think, and then watching uh, the different ages. Are they, are they saved before they leave the nursery? Probably not. They get saved in that three and four year old class? Maybe. They get saved in the kindergarten and first grade class? Maybe. Alright. Different kids at different ages. God gets a hold of them. All right, 2 Timothy 3.15. But we can at least establish the patterns and we can at least start to uh, speak the truth. From childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able, which are able. They, they, they're active. They're living. They're working. Here's what they're able to do. To give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Look what the gospel can do. And it's, uh, you know, you read about these, maybe you've had a similar story or, or different things. Um, Billy Sunday was drunk on a street corner, nursing a hangover, and a wagon was going by with, uh, with uh, somebody in the back playing a, a pipe organ kind of thing, uh, playing some old Methodist hymns. And here he is on a Sunday morning, drunk and hungover from the night before. Billy Sunday was a pretty spectacular baseball player, a wealthy well-paid baseball player back in the early 1900s. And uh, he hears this music, these old gospel hymns, these old Methodist hymns. And all of a sudden, the word of God he'd heard from his childhood and the testimony he'd had previously and the testimony the, the gospel had been heard previously all comes crashing down on him like a ton of bricks. And he realizes, wait a minute. <laughs> Stands up, tells his two drunk buddies, also ball players with him, said, I'm going to follow Jesus. And off he goes. You never know. I mean, it says able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. Is that today, tomorrow, 10 years from now? God knows. He absolutely knows. And he knows every other component, every seed that's planted, all the watering of that seed that's planted. And who knows, the, the final person that leads a person to Christ is just the last, the straw that broke the camel's back, right? It's the last little piece of the puzzle. And there were a whole lot of other things along the way. Thankfully, uh, the Holy Spirit is the one that keeps all that straightened out. <laughs> we couldn't plan something like that. All right. Sub point three. What else does the Word of God do when we take it in? And what else are we forsaking if we don't take it in? One significant effect of the Word of God is our personal experiential sanctification. One significant effect of the Word of God is our personal experiential sanctification. If you are not taking in the Word of God, you are not sanctified in the truth in terms of experiential sanctification. Again, this is subpoint three. All of these are under main point two, subpoint C. Subpoint three, our significant effect, one significant effect of the Word of God is our experiential 
sanctification. It's being set apart. Being sanctified. Being uh, designated for holy purposes. God does this. His Word does this. And uh, this is another one of the illustrations where, boy, we do ourselves a huge favor when we contrast the positional with the experiential. We contrast top circle with bottom circle, right? Where we rightly divide the word of truth and understand that there are certain things that happen the moment we, we become His. That's top circle. When we are saved eternally and we are eternally sanctified, we are eternally justified, and, and so many things that happen to us eternally on a positional basis. But then we also have bottom circle where we're in fellowship or out of fellowship, where we're filled with the Holy Spirit or we're walking in the flesh. We have the bottom circle realities, the experiential realities. Okay, Even salvation itself is used in these terms. Positional salvation, experiential salvation. Okay, We have the eternal aspect of being saved from the penalty of sin, but now we've got the temporal aspects of being saved from the power of sin, resisting individual sin temptations, walking in the light. This is what we have here with our experiential sanctification. And, and that's huge. If you, if you get that and, and can explain that to somebody, I tell you, you are light years beyond most of, most of uh, other folks that are out there. They don't, don't get the difference. They just all lump it in together. They say, well, I got saved. I was baptized as a child. I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And they've got no concept for the experiential sanctification for confessing their sins, for being restored to fellowship. No idea that they need to uh, exercise 1 John 1, 9, and if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. They have no frame of reference for the experiential forgiveness. Because in their mind, it's just a a one-shot deal. Hey, I believed in Christ, I received the forgiveness of my sins. And and they, they don't distinguish between the positional and the experiential. Well, it's the same issue here with our sanctification. John 17, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. He's not talking about a bunch of unbelievers that need to get saved. Every last one of them is saved, except for, of course, Judas, but he's not in the focus here on this prayer. He's praying for those whom God has given them, given him. I've lost not even one except the son of perdition, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. All right, John chapter 17. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, how to do this in five minutes. <laughs> well, thankfully, it's on the website. We taught this in Life of Christ. Um. In his high priestly prayer, he says, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work you've given me to do. That's verse 4. Verse 6, I manifested your name to the men whom you have given me. The men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me. See, this is the pattern. The Father gave, gives every believer to Christ. And it's the Father's will that Christ lose not even one. All right, just like uh, pastors and flocks. You know, my flock has been given to me by the great shepherd and I'm accountable to him. All right. While I was with them, verse 12, I was keeping them in your name. This is the sanctifying value of Christ's personal presence. 
This is what the Word of God does when it's walking with us. I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished. See, the, everything we're studying about shielding and guarding and protecting that, that happens when the Word of God enters our soul and is pleasant to our soul and so forth. Well, all of that's true, but think about the reality of that during the first Advent incarnation. When the Word of God walks with them and sits with them and eats with them and talks to them. And, and, and think about that. The value of the personal presence of Jesus Christ. And now we actually have both in the church age. We have the Word of God in our soul and we have the fellowship with Jesus Christ. Not one of them perished except the son of perdition that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak to the world. So now there's a new reality on the verge. They're going to lose the, the physical presence of Christ, but they're going to gain so much more because they're going to have Jesus Christ seated at the Father's right hand as an advocate. They're going to have the Holy Spirit. All right? And so um, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. I wish more believers would pay attention to that verse. How many Christians are trying to create a little isolation commune of sorts, and they're trying to kind of lip, create a bubble around themselves? They're not going to know any unbelievers. They're, not going to have any, you know, they're just going to live in this little uh, bubble world of, of uh, churchy-type people. We, we can't leave the world. We're supposed to be ambassadors in this world. Then he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. That's how we can make use of the world, but not full use of the world. That's how we can operate as aliens and strangers. That's how we can be pilgrims in this, uh, in this barren land. You sent me into the, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now think about it. If the word of God does not return void because it accomplishes the purpose for which it's sent, now the word of God is sending us. Are we going to return void? Are we going to accomplish a purpose for which we are sent? For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. This is our experiential sanctification. And notice it's not limited to the 12 apostles. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who will believe in me through their word, it becomes the ongoing legacy for the church the body of Christ, those that are saved by virtue of the uh, church age gospel message. All right, well, we're going to have to come back to this next week just because I'm out of time. We'll come back. Uh, almost got through it. There's a fourth thing that it does that's going to take some time to talk about. And then uh, the Psalm 119 application. And then we're ready for the evil men and the strange women that we'll get to in uh, verses 12 and following in our main point three. Strange women, that's right. Look out for those strange women and the evil men. All right. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the blessings of this class today. Father, I ask that you would um, do what we've been studying. Let the word of God richly dwell within us. Let it spring forth. Let it bear fruit. Let it guard. Let it shield. Let it, let it lead. Let the word of God do what it's designed to do. As a sword, let it pierce. As a hammer, let it smash. As a fire, let it burn. In every way, Father, your word has gone forth today. And we know it will not return void. So, Father, uh, open our eyes to see the effects that we might be uh, rejoicing and praising all the more, seeing how your word is just so faithful day by day. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.